Uh, if you would open your Bible to the book of Hosea, chapter 14. We'll read verses 1 through 4. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen <clears throat> by thine iniquity. Take with you words, and turn to the Lord, and say unto him, Take away all iniquity, and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. What a prayer for a sinner to pray. Asher shall not save us. They had looked at these things before. We will not ride upon horses, neither will we say any more. We won't say any more. To the works of our hands, you are our God. For in thee, the fatherless find mercy. Today we'll be primarily looking in verse 4. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For my anger is turned away from them. I titled the lesson, Backsliding Healed, but then I thought about a question this morning. Is there any hope? Is there any hope for a backslider? In verse 4, we see here that our God gives a wonderful promise. The promise to those who backslide. We know we've saw over the last several weeks, he makes mention of that several times in the book. Backslide. I know some people make light of it, and it's not something to be made light of, to think that we would backslide from our God. The word implies sliding backwards, what Mr. Rocker, Hawker said. It implies sliding backward and not turning around and going away. He says in Hosea 4.16, he made reference, For Israel slideth back, as a backsliding heifer. Now the Lord will feed them as a lamb in a large place. And he said, how does a heifer slide backward? Not by turning back and going another path, but she's like on a slippery slope or a slippery ground whose steps so far from she can't gain ground and she loses ground. But her face is always pointed Toward him. She says, He said, Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer. We probably don't like to admit it, but this does describe us. This is us. This is Israel. Now, I know you, we can relate that to the natural Israel. I understand that. But it has something of far deeper meaning than that. If, it, if we just say, Well, it's just talking about them. How does this apply to us? Is there any hope? Is there any hope for a backslider? Or do they, someone said, if, if it, there's not mercy and grace, it's the first step to a total apostasy from God. And his people, they, may, they do backslide. But I know this, they will not leave him because he will not leave them. Because you can always go back to that verse, I will heal their backsliding. And the reason he will heal their backsliding is because of the next statement, because I love them freely. 
read the article there, a great article there in the bulletin today from Mr. Spurgeon on that very topic. I love them, I will love them freely. That's the only way God can love a sinner. It's not based on merit. It's not based on her goodness. You say, well, if you go back and read through this book and it describes Gomer and how she how she went after other gods and trusted in other gods, but God never stopped loving her. Never. God's love never changes. I am the Lord. I change not. And because I don't change, you sons of Jacob, you believers, you the elect of God, are not consumed. If God ever changed, we're in a mess. If God ever changes, we have no hope. But this right here, like his word, it never changes. I will love them freely. Only the Lord can preserve us from backsliding. In, in Jeremiah 3.14, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you. He's in a covenant relationship. And it says in the book of Malachi, God hates putting away. He will never give the wife that he purchased, the wife that he bought, the wife that he redeemed. He will never, under no circumstances, ever give her a writing of divorcement and put her away and said, I'm leaving you alone, not to his people. Now, he may do those who are not his, but he says, I'm married unto you. You go, why would he marry someone like that? Why would he tell Gomer or Hosea to go marry Gomer, who was a harlot? That's the least likeliest any man would go down and, and marry. You think he, did you hear that? That man married a harlot. Everybody in the county would be talking about it. Yeah, he married a harlot. God married a harlot. You know what it said about Samson? He loved harlots. You know what we could say about God? He loves harlots. You better thank God he does. Back in chapter 11, verse 7, my people, my people, so who's he talking about? Well, his people are bent to backsliding from me. And if you don't realize that, I'll, you probably don't know how wicked your heart is. It's bent. It's, that's, it's, that's how we are. Our, unless God keeps us, we're bent on backsliding. Bent. Just leave, leave us alone for a second. Though they call them to the most high, I will heal your backsliding. I will love you freely. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Where sin abounds, the greatest, the ugliest part of sin, where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. I love that song, Grace That's Greater Than Our Sin. 
Now notice the text, of, I mean the words of this text. We first have a word of humiliation. It's humbling to think and to admit and to confess who we are and what we are and how weak we are. That's humbling. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't, it's hard for us to admit it, to confess it, to acknowledge it. We backslide in thought. Now, we don't think about that, do we? We just think of outward actions. But all these outward actions come from a heart. The, the thoughts, well, thoughts of unbelief. Well, should, what, what did God say? He said, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them free. That's what he said. But then many times we act as though he doesn't. Did he really say that? And our thoughts. The only safe place is to abide in him. We become cold in our prayers. It, it, is, it gets to be nothing but a ritual. We read the scriptures and it's only just mere words. We seems we've left our first love. That describes it. That's, that's us. And that's humbling. But then we have a word of consolation. I will heal their backsliding. He, dis, he sets it forth, this awful sin, like a disease. I will heal their backsliding. He didn't say, I will pardon their backsliding, but that is included in the term. But he said, I will heal their backsliding. He remembers. He remembers. Now, we forget, but he remembers that we are just dust. And at our best state, we're altogether vanity. We are exposed to thousands of temptations every day. Our Lord looks upon us as a patient that's sick and needs to be healed. And that he is the only physician that can heal. He says, I will heal. I will heal it. Not going to try to heal it. He says it twice. I will heal. I will freely love them freely. He doesn't say, I will put the diseased one outside the camp as they did the lepers in the Old Testament. He didn't say, I will put them into quarantine. What good would that do? That wouldn't heal them. You know, this is what men think. Well, if we can take men away from society and put them in a room somewhere where they're protected from all the influence of the world, what about the influence of themselves? The problem is in here. You imagine, what good did it do to put the lepers outside the camp? Nothing. Just kept them from you. Because you didn't want to catch that horrible disease. So we're going to quarantine them. 
keep them away from everybody else. And they had to say, unclean, unclean. That ain't what he said. I'm going to heal your backsliding. Some have the idea, and they do, those that believe a person can lose their salvation and fall away from God's grace and away from God's favor, that a man can sin to the point God would never have anything to do with him anymore. Well, if that's the case, let's just pack up our Bible and just go to the house. That's it. You're kept by the power of God. Kept. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Once he loves, he will never leave. He will never, never leave you nor forsake you. He didn't say, I'll take their name out of the book of life. He didn't say, I would disinherit them. Whatever their sin may be, whatever it is, I will overcome it. I will restore them. I will heal them. I will restore them to their former condition. And then we have a word of adoration. He says, I will heal. Now, who's this speaking? This is Jehovah God speaking. I will heal. And when he says, I will do something, nobody can stop him. Nobody can stay his hand. If God intended to save you, I know this as sure as I'm standing here, God's going to save you. He will heal. He will heal your backsliding. He will heal it. I'll just give you a remedy. He will heal your... He will. He will. He's saying, I will be the one that will heal you. Now, he may use his word. He may use the word of a preacher. But when it really gets down to it, the one who does the healing is the great physician. I will heal. He wants everyone to know. I will heal. I thought about the the good Samaritan, as we call it, when our Lord came to the man, the priest, and the Levite went by on this side, just looked at him. One maybe come up a little bit closer and looked down at him and went, mm. but for the grace of God, there I lay and just walk off. Nobody healed him. Nobody helped him. Probably made him feel worse because they couldn't heal him. Did you hear that? The law can't heal you. The law just exposes it. It can't heal. It was never intended to heal. And in Luke 10, 34, and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in wine, oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an end and took care of him. Well, who did the healing? He did. I, I could just always picture in my mind him sitting down beside him, picking up his head and laying it in his lap and taking oil or something and rubbing the blood off of his face. He's doing the healing. Then you know what he does? He picks him up 
and puts him on his own beast and he takes him to an end and he stayed up all night with him. He took care of him. Who did the healing? He did. If he hadn't came to you, you know what you would have done? You would have died in the street. Died. (laughs) Hath God said it and shall he not do it? If God promises something, you can rest assured he will accomplish it. If he promises, I will heal your backsliding. No matter how far the disease may have gone, no matter how bad the wounds may stink, he can bind up all the wounds. He can pour in oil and grace and heal the wound. A word of certainty, I will. God is not a man that he should lie. Why will he heal? He is our physician. Is he not able to cure every case? Well, sure he is. Now listen, if there was ever a case he couldn't heal or couldn't cure, he would lose all of his honor, and he would not be a a physician you'd want anything to do with. He would be a disgrace. There's never been a wound he couldn't heal. Never. And that's certain. You imagine if you, you knew you had to go to the doctor and it was, it was certain that unless somebody did something, you're going to die. I want to know what that man said that I could trust it. Not what everybody else said. I need, I'm, other people may have went and they said, well, you need to go see this doctor. Okay, that may be okay for you, but I need some certainty myself to know that he will heal my case. He will certain he will never never suffer one of his little ones to perish I got this from someone we we have cost our Lord too dear for him to suffer one of his little ones to perish he suffered all the agonies of the cross he made his soul an offering for sin he endured all that to lose you Oh, no. God, our God who chose us, redeemed them, and healed them. Israel is his people. And here's how he works. He wounds. And then he heals. What do you mean he wounds? He allows you, he brings you to the place you see your sin. You see who you are. And you know what? You want to go in a hole somewhere and just pull in the cut, whatever, behind you and just hide. But here we have the blessing of the text. Someone said backsliding is one of the most dangerous things into which a child of God can fall. 
You know what it does? It takes away your joy. It injures our usefulness. And no one falls, now listen, nobody falls into a great sin all at once. It's usually a very gradual thing. As you go up Lone Oak Road, I don't know why they called it Lone Oak Road. There was more than one oak on that road. When they come through and run that big electrical power line, they it was on a man's property right there beside right beside the road. They were several huge oaks. Them, them trees were that big around. They'd been there a long time. They looked real solid. They had real pretty leaves. But when you cut into them, every one of them was rotten in the middle. Don't that describe us? We look beautiful with our leaves and we stand so tall and we've endured so many storms, but inside there's a decay. A decay. And that didn't just happen overnight. It's like when we first came, the ash trees just begin to die. We had four or five there just in the yard. Now they're all gone. Every one of them on the place is all dead. How did that happen? A little bitty worm gets under the bark of the tree, and by the, they said by the time you realize it, the tree's done for. You say, well, it's just a little, little bug. It's just, just a little sin. The little foxes spoil the vines. God help us to beware because of what it leads to. In Hebrews 12, 15, it says, Lest, lest any root of bitterness springing, springing up trouble you, and by that bitterness many will be defiled. Just, uh, and it's just a little root. Just a little root, but what it is a root of bitterness you didn't become bitter overnight you you get angry you get get your feelings hurt and you, and you get then you dwell on it and you and you feed on it and it festers and then first thing you just i'm just bitter just you've seen somebody bitter just just bitter just bitter to be around and he's saying here whereby many are defiled. We have an effect on each other. Now, it wasn't just one. It began maybe as one person, but then it spread to the whole nation, and the whole nation was affected. You know, you've heard me say, we don't sin as an island. What we do affects somebody else, always. What Achan did, Achan kept the, the Babylonian garment and a wedge of gold, and it affected all Israel, all of them. Somewhere else, some, another one I thought of that would have been familiar. You remember Peter? When he was there and Paul came, and uh, he withdrew himself from eating with the, the Gentiles and went over eating with the Jews, which was wrong. But it wasn't just Peter the only one that did that. You know who else did it? Barnabas. Barnabas, the son of consolation. 
He watched. He was carried away with Peter's dissimulation. He said, well, if Peter's doing it, it's okay. But when Paul come, he withstood Peter to the face. He said, Peter, what you're doing is wrong. You're presenting works to these people. And what would have happened if the Paul had just let that go on? But see what I want you to see. What we do affects someone else. One sickly sheep affects the whole flock. Achan affected all Israel. Sin causes us to become weaker and weaker. Just unbelief spreads to the whole congregation. I thought about when the children of Israel, when the spies came back from Canaan, 12 spies, 10 says we can't take it. Two said we could. Which one runs one out? The 10. They said, oh, it's a good land, but there's giants in the land. And because of what those people did and what they believed in, a whole generation died in the wilderness. It spread. It spread. We must look at such a description of backsliding as a horrible sin. But we still find hope. Isn't that amazing? We could, you know, we could talk all day about backsliding and we'd all walk out the door with our head hung down. Because we, we don't deny it. But is there any hope? Yeah. Thank goodness there's hope. Like coming to the doctor and he says, he said, yeah, it's bad. It's real bad. But I think I can take care of you. <laughs> it's just like Thursday, Scott. He's, he's, he's a young boy. He's pretty tough. He's, he's getting on up in his 30s. So he's about the age he start having a few problems. He's supposed to go Thursday and have his gallbladder taken out. You know, he's never went through anything like that, so you know he's a little afraid. But he's going to have to trust the doctor to take that out. And it's not like it used to be. They say it was a pretty big incision they used to have to make, and that's just a small one. So we don't think it's that big a deal. It's still a big deal. But he needs somebody that you can trust. I can tell you this, we trust our Lord. How does God heal Backsliding. Backsliding is healed when all the sin is forgiven. Isaiah one eighteen. Come now, let us reason together. Saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though be they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Hebrews eight eleven. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Is there hope? Oh, yeah. Mercy. Mercy. You say, well, they don't deserve mercy. If you deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. Mercy. You mean he forgive you? Why? How does he forgive you? Based upon what his son did. Not on what you do. He's going to love you freely. He heals when he's removed all the effects of sin, the, what sin has caused. 
when we sin and backslide, we feel a tendency to go further into sin. It deprives us of many privileges. It hides the face of God. Our sins, like clouds, darken the sun. It looks, most people don't like dreary days. I remember the lady, we, when we bought the house, that's what she said. She said, I just don't like living here. She said, this is how most of the time winter days are. It's just, it's just cloudy and it may not be rain. It's just, it's just dreary. But you know, by them clouds, the sun's still shining. But our sin, like, like the clouds, darken out the sun. That's the effect. It robs us of our joy. I will heal their backslide. I will restore to them what is lost. One great example is David. Would you call what David did backslide? Well, sure he would. Without without question. Sin or whatever you want to call it, that's what it was. It was horrible. Horrible. No way, another way around it. It was just horrible. Is there hope for a sinner like that? Well, sure they are. When Nathan came to him and he told him, he said, you're the man, he said, you're not going to die, David. Well, he deserved to die. He ought to have died. He, he committed what we would call first-degree murder. He plotted, he planned, and he had it carried out and had a man killed just to try to cover up his sin. Would a believer do that? Well, he sure did. And the Lord let him go on in that for a year, and he sent Nathan. And he says, I put away your sin. You're not going to die. And then David, David wrote Psalms 51. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me by thy free spirit. I have no joy. Joy. Love. What's the fruit of the spirit? Love. The second one's joy. Joy. Do you have any joy? Why don't we have any joy? Not happiness, joy. Happiness, happiness depends on happenings. When everything happens just right, you begin, you can feel happy. But joy goes deeper than that. Restore. He couldn't restore it. Restore unto me the joy. The joy of what? His salvation. I can't even enjoy God's salvation. You imagine the guilt, the condemnation. But he prayed, Lord, restore the joy. He is our comfort. And God did restore David's joy and comfort. And then he said, and the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Verse 8, make me to hear joy and gladness. Make me to hear it. Make me to hear the gospel. You know what the gospel is? Joy and gladness. And the bones which thou hast broken. 
not literal bones, but the bones that were broken have to be set, and he sets them. John Gill said a backsliding believer is not only like a bone out of joint, but his falls are sometimes both to the bruising of him and to the breaking of his bones. Let me read you this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren or believers, if any man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. How do you restore them? How do you restore In the spirit of what? Meekness. Considering thyself, lest you also be tempted. He that thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. You know, if I was to break my arm, and they told me I had to have it set, I don't want some jack legs trying to set my arm. I want somebody with a little bit of compassion. I want somebody that's had their arm broke, and I want them to restore it. And that's what David was saying. And it says, if we're overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. Sometimes God brings about divine healing when in providence sometimes he brings about severe afflictions. He said the bones that you have broke, that you would restore those. Back in chapter 13, God said he'd be like a lion and a leopard or like a bear robbed of her whelps, of her little children, her little bears. And why does the Lord send those things? David said, it was good for me that I was afflicted. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. If you're his, he won't leave you alone. I'd say that year from the time that Bathsheba conceived that child to the time he sent Nathan that was probably one of the most miserable years of David's life. How in the world am I going to undo what I did? Does that sound familiar? How in the world can I undo? We can't. David didn't go seeking the Lord. David didn't call for Nathan. God in grace sent Nathan to David. I will love you freely. Freely. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Remember, our life is not lived in a palace. It's lived on a battlefield. And in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You will. How does he heal? By bringing afresh to our mind 
a sense of his great love. It's not law. It's not condemnation. It's when he brings back to your mind a sense, just a little glimpse of his love for you. You mean he'll love me freely? Yeah. That's the only way that God's love can stream from heaven to earth. God's love comes to those who neither deserve it, purchased it, or even sought for it. And that's the only way God can love us. How did he love you before? That's how he loved you. And that's how he loves you now. He's not changing. You may change. Your attitude may change. Your heart may have grown cold. You, we do change. But he hadn't. And you know, that's what we, we forget. We think he's changed. And he's not. When we, re- when we are reminded that we're still children of God, would your, will your father receive you? Well, sure he will. Ask the prodigal. He says, I'm going to leave the hog bin. I'm, I'm going to go back to my father. Why, what did he remember about his father? Did he remember wrath? Oh, no. His father was gracious to him. He said, my father takes care of his servants. He said, I'll just be willing to be a hired servant. Listen, depths of mercy, can there be? Mercy yet reserved for me? Can my God with wrath forbear? Me, the chief of sinners, spare? What did he say? I will love them freely. For mine anger is turned away from them. He's not angry. He's not angry with his people. Under the law, we live and we live in constant fear. His anger is turned away. As I've already mentioned, he reminds us. He reminds us of his love. He reminds us that he's married unto us. Jeremiah 3, 14 and 15. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, I am married unto you. And I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. I will bring you into my kingdom, my realm. And I never saw this verse in the context. I don't know how many times I've quoted this verse, verse 15. And God said, I will give you pastors according to my own heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. I pray God comfort your heart. He reminds you, no matter what we've done, no matter who we are, we're his. He loves us freely. Sometimes his healing happens all of a sudden. 
just a word that our Lord may speak to our heart and our hearts that were filled with unbelief overflow now with joy. The realization of this wonderful blessing. God help us acknowledge our sin and confess our iniquities. When we are humbled for our sin, humbled for our sin, which only God can bring about, it's a good sign of God's healing. Go to him and ask for forgiveness. I just don't think you would forgive me. He said, here, I will heal their back. I will love them freely. <laughs> Cast away all idols. That's what she said. Take with you words. Take away, Lord, all my iniquities. Rece- Lord, receive me graciously. Let us not leave our first love. Let us forget the things which are behind and reach forth unto the things which are before. That's one of the hardest things for us to do. It just keeps coming up. But only he can help you forget it. He says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth, I press toward the mark. That mark is Christ. By nature, we've all missed the mark. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. He's the originator of your faith. He gave you faith. He's the object of your faith, and he's the finisher of your faith. And it takes faith to believe God. In the midst of so much sin, it takes faith to believe God. So I just don't believe he would forgive me. I can understand that. Now, we think if we do something, then we can believe that. We can believe, well, well, then God may forgive me. You cast that all away. He's the only one that can enable you. Well, I believe. I can't explain to you how I believe. I just believe. Hosea 6.1, come, come, and let us. Return to the Lord. For he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. I hope that was a help. And Lord willing, we'll pick up there in verse 5 next Sunday.